Um, thank you again for um, being with us today for worshiping uh, together. Um, if you're uh, yeah, if you're new, uh, especially uh, we extend our warm welcome to you um, as well. Um, we sang this song, um, "You Are Beautiful Beyond Description." Um, I wonder what that what that means when you think of this word "beautiful." Um, what that uh, conjures up? What kind of images or what kind of things? What kind of people? Uh, that word beauty brings up in your mind. For some people, it may be uh, Johnny Depp. When you think of beautiful, you're like, wow, Johnny Depp is really beautiful. We, um, we, I think some of y'all know um, we've got a toddler here named Connor Shin. He's not here here, but um, he was, uh, his mom was saying that he was watching a preview commercial for the movie The Tourist, right? Johnny Depp is in that. And, and he saw Johnny Depp, and he said, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, uh, mom said, no. <laughs> It's not Jesus. And then he retorted, Moses. And she said, no, it's not Moses. It's Johnny Depp. But some people would say that Johnny Depp is beautiful. Um, others, Biggie, uh, one of our guys, Biggie, uh, one of our greeters, he says, when he thinks of beautiful, well, his brother said that when he thinks of beautiful, he thinks of Eva Longoria. She's beautiful. Um, another one of our uh, college students, Kenneth Cook, said uh, he thinks of Natalie Portman. Beautiful. Beautiful. But what do you think of? When we sing that Jesus Christ is beautiful beyond description, uh, we're not talking about he looks like Johnny Depp or he's got facial features that are as chiseled and defined as people on People's 50 Most Beautiful. It's not talking about that. When it talks about the beauty of Jesus, because it's kind of weird when we think about like guys singing about the beauty of Jesus, it's obviously not about physical attractiveness. In fact, in Isaiah, it tells us that he had no physical uh, beauty in him to attract us to himself. So when we sing of Jesus' beauty and we talk about Jesus' beauty, the way that Wayne Grudem, he's a systematic theologian, he defines it as a sum total of all that is wonderful and perfect about the attributes of Jesus. I, I, I love this song that we sing, Lord, I give you my heart. And there's this one line that, that really, like, I love this line. It says, all that I adore is in you. We know what beauty is. We know what is good and right and admirable in this life because we see it in Jesus. The sum total of all that is right, his holiness, his majesty, his glory, his love, his mercy, his kindness to us. All of these things represent the sum total of his wonderful, admirable attributes. And that is the beauty that we sing about. It's interesting because when we think about the gift of Jesus Christ into our world, that what we celebrate as the first Christmas, we understand that the gift of Jesus into our world is a gift far greater than anything we would have ne- we would have ever asked for. Billy Sunday is a great preacher in the 1920s. Used to be a baseball player for the New York Yankees, and once he became a, a believer through the ministry of, uh, I believe it was D.L. Moody, he became a Christian, gave his life, and became a preacher, forsaking. Um, the evil empire, the New York Yankees, to become a preacher of the gospel. And he would go on to say that there are 256 names in the Bible to describe Jesus Christ. And he says, I reckon that the reason for that is because one name, his beauty and his worth is of infinite value that one name could not sum up all of the wonder and the glory and the beauty of who he is. And so when we think about who he is, And all that he is indeed, we say, we can say that he is everything that we need. He's the king of kings. We all need a king. He's the Lord of lords. He's my saving grace and whatever it is else that that song says. That he is my uh, best friend. He's a brother, an older brother to us. 
And so as we said, we're not going to look at all 256 names, obviously, of who Jesus is, but we're going to look at two, and we're going to go back into uh, the book of Isaiah. We're going to read chapter 9, and actually going to start from verse 2 through 7. Our main text will be verses 6 and 7. But as we look into these verses, um, there is a fourfold description of who Jesus Christ would come to be. And we'll look at the first two descriptions of him today, and then the second two next week. To, and I want to get us to see how desperately we needed this gift of Jesus Christ and all that he came to be uh, for us. Um, and it's a practical thing in our lives. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2 through verse 7. This is God's word 700 years before the first Christmas. There's a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged their nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and a government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. As we begin chapter nine, it says that the people are living in darkness and I'm not going to go much into the historical context, but they're living in darkness, despair, gloom. And then all of a sudden a light shines and and these people throw off their yokes. The yoke of oppression and slavery is gone and, and the things that were weighing them down are lifted up and they start dancing and they celebrate. They start doing the John Wall and they start going crazy in celebration. Why? What is this light that has come into the darkness? It says for to us. A child is born. To us, a son is given. As we look into what kind of person this child was, uh, we're just going to see two things about our God and see what it means for us in a time like this. And I do believe that, at least for me, and I'm pretty sure for you as well, um, these words are something that we desperately, definitely uh, need to embrace in our lives. The first thing, he's a wonderful counselor. The second thing, he's a mighty God. Um, wonderful counselor, uh, how many of us could use a wonderful counselor today? I wonder, maybe you think about it, you're like, oh, not me. But how many of us face, uh, challenges and decisions that we just don't know what we're supposed to do in this situation? As I think about conversations I've had this week, I would venture to say that a great many of us need wonderful counsel. Whether uh, you're a college student and you're in your early years and you're wondering, what am I supposed to major in? What am I supposed to study? What kind of class am I supposed to take? Am I supposed to double major or not? Am I supposed to apply to this uh, degree program or, or not? Where am I, what am I supposed to do? And, and we wonder and we're questioning, where do I go? Where do I go from where I am? Or maybe you're the college student who's about to graduate. You're a junior, a senior, or a fifth year, whatever it is. And you're wondering, what am I supposed to do now? 
Am I supposed to go to graduate school or am I supposed to apply for a job? If I apply for a job, am I supposed to stay in Orlando or am I supposed to go somewhere else? You're a high school senior and you're starting to get your applications, your, your letters back. And you hear from one school and another school and all these places are accepting you. And all of a sudden you've got this conundrum. Now, where am I supposed to go? If I've gotten into all of these schools, where do I go now? And our, our minds oftentimes are filled with the stress of not knowing Hey, what do we do in a situation like that? Uh, someone uh, a couple of days ago was like, how, do I, how am I supposed to raise my kids in a Christian environment in this world? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? What do I, how do I navigate these, these currents of, of all of the things that are going on and that are bombarding my child? How, how am I supposed to interact with this person? This person has been giving me the cold shoulder. What am I supposed to do? How do I relate to this? Do I, do I, do I talk to them? Do I not talk to them? Do I just pray for them? What am I supposed to do? Do I go out on a date with this person who's pursuing me? Do am I supposed to date this person? Am I supposed to marry this person? What am I supposed to do? And I think if, if, we're, if we strip away the veneer and, and the, the outer shell, a great many of us have got questions that we don't have answers to. And in situations like that, where do you go? To whom do you turn to find advice? Many of us go to our friends, right? You go to your friends, you go to your Maybe you go to your Sunday school teacher, you go to the internet, right, google.com, and you're like, okay, what do I major in? And, and you take these tests, perhaps. Maybe you go to the advice columns in the magazine. What do I do? This boy likes me. What, what am I supposed to do? And, and the problem is that a lot of the advice that we get is unwonderful counsel, is bad counsel. What do I mean by that? There's two, two things that I think are readily pop into mind. We talk about bad counsel. You ever gotten bad counsel before? What does that look like to you? It probably means you are asking someone a question. They tell you what to do and it completely bombs, right? You're in this relationship, it, it, whether, what, whatever kind of relationship. You got this friendship and this person has done something bad to you and you ask someone, what should I do? And they give you advice and you do that. They say, go egg their house. You egg their house and it completely blows up and this relationship is gone. Oh, they'll think it's funny. No, they don't think it's funny. That's bad advice. How many of us have, have been told, yeah, you should go ahead and, and just date this person and end up breaking your heart because that person was not the right person. And it was clear in Scripture that that's not the person that you ought to be pursuing or going out with. How many times have we gotten that kind of counsel? Counsel is bad because of the words that are spoken to us, the advice that's given. But counsel is also bad when it's not just the words but it's the attitude behind the words. They could have all the right words, but the attitude behind it could be off. Not only the counsel, but there's got the attitude with which they give that counsel to you can make someone's advice bad. You ever pour out your heart to somebody? Tell, I don't know what to do in this situation. And you just share your, your pains and your frustrations and your hurt. And they just kind of look at you like, what's wrong with you? Or they have just no compassionate bone in their body. Or they just tell you, you just need to get over it. Just need to get over it. And there's no empathy there. There's no sense of, I feel you. I understand what you're going through. Have you seen that, that Geico commercial? Where that guy with that, that radio voice comes on and he says, can Geico really save you 15 minutes more? And then, and then he asks this like, rhetorical question. Um, does a former drill sergeant make a terrible therapist? Have you seen this one? So he's got this guy's laying down on a therapist's sofa and the therapist is there and the guy's like, this real, like, he, he's in this broken, sad state, and he's like, and I think that's why the color yellow makes me sad. And then the therapist is like, you know what makes me sad? 
you make me sad. And he's like, starts yelling at him. He's like, maybe you should go to Mamby Pamby land and get some self-confidence for yourself. You jack wagon. And, and he's like yelling at him. And, and this guy's like stunned. And then the therapist says, tissue. And then he like throws it at him and says, cry, baby. That's not a very good counselor. But maybe, maybe uh, we've experienced counsel like that. Where do you go when you don't know what to do? When you're at this place where you're at this crossroads and you're not sure what the right decision to make is, when you've got all of these things brewing in your head and you've got A, B, C, D options, where, where do you go? Isaiah tells us that we have a counselor. He's not just a so-so counselor, not just a good counselor, but he's a wonderful counselor. Did you know that? And if you did, how often do we go to him for advice? Jesus is a wonderful counselor, not only because of the words that he says, but the warmth with which he says it, not only because of the advice, but the attitude that accompanies it. Not only does he counsel, but he comforts as well. And so Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Think about the people that Jesus counseled throughout his life. Uh, his interactions with people. There was a Samaritan woman at the well. No one ever gave her the time of day. And yet Jesus comes and he sits by the well and he talks with her. This is an attitude of love like she's never before received. Other men would look at her and instead of loving her, they would use her. And Jesus looks at her and she sees in his eyes a love that she's never before experienced in her life. But he doesn't stop there with an attitude, but he gives her advice that she desperately needs that she would have never asked for. He says, you need living water and can only be found in me. There's this woman who's caught in adultery. And here comes this man who would give to her and would show to her, who would treat her like no other man would. Jesus says to her and he says, I don't condemn you. He gives this attitude of grace in a way that she's never tasted before. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, go now and sin no more. See, this is the counsel of Jesus. He gives not only the words that we need to hear, but he gives it in a way that shows that he understands. Think about Peter. After Peter had rejected and denied and blown it and messed up completely, denying the only master that he knew for three and a half years, he blew it with him, said, I don't even know the man. And then he sees and witnesses Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Third day, he's raised again. And Jesus comes to him as a stranger on the shore. And he says, Peter, and he, he cooks breakfast for me. And he talks to him and he shows his loving embrace, a grace that he's never before experienced, a grace that he thought he didn't need because he thought that he could do everything for Jesus apart from the work of grace. And Jesus gives him the comfort and the presence that he needs. But then he also says, you know what, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. Your life is going to look completely different. Your life is never going to be the, the same because you're going to be led to a death that you did not choose. The seminal example of Jesus, a wonderful counselor, and you've, you've probably heard and uh, people talk about this. You heard me or somebody quoting Dick Lucas, Tim Keller. And, and Lazarus, when he dies in John chapter 11, you've got Mary and you've got Martha. And both of them come to Jesus and they say the same thing. They say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. To Martha, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He speaks words of truth into her heart. And Jesus comes to us when we need that kind of counsel, we need that kind of advice. He speaks words into our lives, words that we need to hear. Our uh, cell church shepherds here are reading through a book 
um, written by a, a pastor who um, his church is, is, um, is one of the kind of leaders amongst the first generation Korean church in, in this whole cell church, house church movement. And this author is writing this book and he talks about how uh, he was in Korea hearing a person preach, a pastor preach. And this preacher said, um, we really need to live by prayer. He said, just, just don't be overwhelmed. Just start simply. Um, start small at first and then work your way up. Just begin at, at four hours a day. Right? And this guy was like, what in the four hours? So he said, I can't do four hours, but I can do three hours. So he said, from that day forward, he's been praying three hours a day. And he says, you know what? There is no stress in my life. As a senior pastor of this large church, I don't feel stressed out. And he said, the reason why is because I see myself as an associate pastor. Jesus, the one to whom I pray, is the senior pastor. He gives me all the advice that I need. I listen to him, and I just do whatever he tells me to do. That way, there's no stress in my life. Because as I pray, God gives me counsel. He gives me advice that I need to hear. And then I live in that, and there's no stress for me. How about for us? Would that mark our lives? Stress-free zone, my heart, my life. Our degree of stress is inversely related to the amount of time we spend with our wonderful counselor. Because as we spend time with him, he gives us wisdom. Am I supposed to meet with this person or not? Am I supposed to take this job offer or not? Am I supposed to go with this client or not? Am I supposed to uh, you know, take this uh, exam or not? What am I supposed to do? As we spend time with a wonderful counselor, he speaks truth into our lives. That's what he did with Martha. To Martha, he spoke words of truth. To Mary, he doesn't say a word, right? You remember this, John eleven thirty five. 35. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it only says Jesus wept. Jesus comes to us with a combination of both of these things. He comes to us with truth and he comes to us with tears. It's not only the words, but it's the warmth. It's the advice and it's the attitude. It's the counsel and it's the comfort. And he brings these things together. And that's why we see that he's the wonderful counselor. My, um, one of my professors says the reason why he can he can care for us is because he understands us. Have you ever been betrayed? He has. Have you ever been gossiped about? He has. Have you ever had financial problems? He has. Have you ever been alone, abandoned? Right? Our God understands. And, and Steve Brown says that he's so near to you in that, that when you cry, he tastes the salt of your tears. He understands. He's the wonderful counselor. What about for us? And what are the areas of our lives? We don't know what to do. We're just at a loss. We've, we've gone and done all this research, and yet we're still at this point where we're back at square one. I've got all this information, but I don't know where to go now. I don't know what to do. Have you tried seeking and laying down on the sofa of the wonderful counselor? who will speak words of life into your heart. And I hope and, and pray that knowing that this is who he came to be, that we would do this, that we would go and we would seek his advice and seek his counsel because that's who he is. He's the wonderful counselor. But the other thing that we see, not only that, but he is 
mighty God. How many of us could use a mighty God today? I, mean, we've, I think we've heard that mighty God so many times. It just becomes something that, that's foreign to us. But maybe we're in a situation that we feel like we're at the end of our strength. We're at the end of our rope. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I've done everything. Maybe it's a temptation that you're facing. You've been fighting for years. And you've come to this place and, and you're like, I've been fighting, I've been fighting, and I've been fighting. And I don't know what to do anymore. I'm at, I've got no strength left. Isaiah tells us that this Jesus Christ who came to us on Christmas Day some 2,000 years ago is our mighty God. What do you think of when you think of mighty God? I think uh, the first thing that I thought about was Mighty Mouse, right? Remember this cartoon, this black and white cartoon from many, 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 many ages ago. And he would sing this song. He says, like, Mr. Trouble cannot stay because, uh, you know, Mighty Mouse is on his way. And then he sings this song, here I come to save the day. Mighty Mouse is, is on his way, and he will fight. And, and, and if there's a wrong to right, then he is here to fight. I, I, I think about that, and I think that's a lot closer to the picture of God than many of us might think. Well, not that God is like some tiny thing, but that's when it talks about Mighty God. The word that it's using is the, the Hebrew terminology is, is El Gibor. And El means God, and Gibor means, this is what it means. It means a warrior hero. Is that God is a warrior who comes to fight for you. He is a hero who comes to save the day. When you're in this battle, when you're in trouble, when you're in a jam, he comes and he, he rescues us in that place. That's who he is. He's a mighty God. Have you turned to him lately? Have you experienced the fact that Jesus is the mighty God in your life lately? Maybe for uh, some of us, this is kind of like this romantic notion. Oh my gosh, my, he's coming. He's going to fight for me. And, and maybe this is attractive to the sisters in our congregation. Oh, how I long for it. Because every woman longs and waits in, in marriage context. One counselor said, um, every woman is wondering in their time of need, is my husband going to show up for me? Is he going to show up? Is he going to rescue me? Is he going to fight for me? Is he going to defend me? Is he going to stand up for me in that time? Is he going to be there for me? Where is my hero in a time like this? And maybe when you hear, ah, oh, my warrior hero, you get really excited. Ah, oh, that's what I long for, this romanticized vision. Uh, back in, uh, if you're a child of the 80s, you know um, the Karate Kid too, And it's just beautiful, powerful love story that ends up being about karate also. But in Karate Kid 2, there's a scene where um, daniel Sun and his uh, Chinese love interest are sitting there. And um, I don't know exactly where it is, but I, I just watched the clip on YouTube yesterday to kind of get myself into it. Um, and... They're in this like little hut-like thing, and um, I don't know why he ends up going into that place because I, I don't remember the storyline very well. But she pours him this tea, right? This hot tea, and then she like spins the cup around. And it's supposed to be like the YouTube clip says Karate Kid Two um, tea ceremony, <laughs> like this. It's just tea ceremony, and she gives it to him, and then he spins the cup around, and then he drinks it, and then she unpulls her hair, and then they stand up and they kiss, and it's like this beautiful moment. Actually, it's not that great, but. What makes it good is that in that moment, this song comes on. And, and, and this Peter Cetera sings, and he says, I am a man 
who will fight for your honor. I am the hero that you've been dreaming of. I'm your knight in, in shining armor. It comes to rescue you. And, and, and all the girls swoon and all the guys wish that they could sing like that and they could drink tea like that. And it was this beautiful thing. And I think when Peter Sotero, whoever wrote this song, maybe somewhere in his mind that idea was planted way back through this understanding of what El Gibor is. I am your warrior. I will fight for you. I'm your hero who will save the day for you. That when we're in trouble, he does not stand idly by and twiddle his thumbs and say, hmm, what am I going to do about that situation? He runs to fight for you and me. That's our God. Have you experienced this kind of might in your life? Now, I know, again, this could, you could have this like romanticized view of this and, oh, this is only for girls, but I think guys resonate with this also. On uh, Friday night, our Middle East cell church, we're sitting around dinner table and, and, and we're talking. And, and David's song just brings up war movies. Like, oh, what's your favorite war movie? And we're talking about war movies. And, and, and she's pretty much just him talking about these war movies. And the rest of us, like, I'm, I'm trying to remember all the war movies that, that I've, I've seen. And I really enjoy war movies, but I'm, I'm bad at matching plots with characters. I'm mixing people together. And, yeah, Private Ryan was great in Black Hawk Down and stuff like that. And, um, but there's this part where we're talking about Private Ryan and, and it's just a sense where he's this one singular lone character and all of these people are coming and they're fighting for his life. I don't think you have to be a hopeless romantic to understand the depth of, 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 of what that means. I was a sophomore in, in, in college and I was uh, at the gym playing basketball with some guys just to pick up game and um, I was covering this guy who's about six foot five inches tall and big uh, Caucasian fella. And I couldn't jump higher than him. And so, you know, whenever he would rebound, um, I would jump. And I, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's a cruel little thing where this little dude is trying to jump. And this guy who's like uh, six inches taller is grabbing all the rebounds. But I realized that I can't, I'm not going to out-rebound this guy, so I have to outsmart him. And so at one, one point in the game, he got the rebound and he was, he was bringing the ball down. I, I might have said this some time ago. Um, but he was bringing the ball down and I swiped the ball to hit it out from un, underneath him. And instead of, hitting the, <laughs> instead of hitting the ball, I hit his face. And he got really mad at me. And so he called foul. He threw the ball down. He came and he pushed me, right? He's six foot five. He's big. To me, he's Goliath. I'm this like five foot 11, 150 pounds dripping wet. And I'm like, holy smoke, my life is over. And he's walking towards me and he's like, fee, five, four, five, right? He's, he's like coming after me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Getting closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, from both corners, two of my boys come, and they fly out, and they push this guy. And they're like, don't mess with him. And, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then the music comes on, I am a man. <laughs> and the guy backs up. He's like, all right, hey, chill, chill. And he walks out. And it was like this, this, this huge moment of, like, male bonding where, like, oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking, oh. And so... Afterwards, I was like, I was saying to one of my, uh, to one of my, my buddies, this guy, so one of these guys, like 6'1", about 240, big guy. Another guy is like 5'10", um, 165, but this guy's diesel. He's like uh, benched 305 pounds when he was in high school. He was solid. And so um, he reminds me of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, but that's what these guys, <laughs> so I was like, man, this is really cool. So afterwards, like, you know, for these guys are like meatheads, and I'm kind of, you know, I've got a couple sensitive bones in me, and so 
Um, for me, this is really sentimental. It's really emotional. So after the game's end and we're finished, I'm like, hey, man, uh, I really appreciate what you, what you did. I was about to cry and stuff. And, and my friends are like, he shouldn't have pushed you. And then they walked away. And I was like, okay, that's kind of anticlimactic there. But I think that's a picture that Isaiah is painting here of who our God is going to be for us. And he doesn't, he doesn't just sit on the sidelines watching us get beat up. He says, when we call on his name, he will come and, and save. This is our mighty God who's here for us. He's our warrior. He's our, he's our hero. He wants to fight for us when we feel like we've got nothing left. He doesn't just say, buck up, fella. Come on, get your act together. But he comes and he fights for us. And this is our God. This is who our God is. And what are the areas in your life where you need God to be mighty for you? And where are the places in your life where you feel like I've got no energy left? I can't go on anymore. You know, my Saturday night ritual, um, starting at a certain hour at night, I, I used to get my uh, stuff together for Sunday. I look at my Bible study and just try and get this into my heart and into my mind. I, I look at my sermon. I try and get it into my heart and really pray through it and, and to know that um, I own this before I start quoting it, you know, to, to know that I feel this before I can, I can, uh, I can bring it in. People say that it, when you preach a sermon, you're, you're delivering a sermon. It's, it's a sense in which it's nowhere near, but you catch the imagery when a mom, a woman delivers a baby. It's just like something that has been gestating and part of her and it, it, it is bringing this out. And that's what I'm trying to do on, on Saturday nights. And a lot of times Saturday nights is like battling with demons and all these, these this like spiritual battling and fighting going on. And, and, and last night at a certain, just about maybe at, at midnight, just really wrestling and, and fighting. And, and I just felt this sense of, of spiritual oppression like I haven't felt in a really long time. And I'm just being honest here. Um, it just felt like everything was dark. My mind was being blank and, and whatever was not blank was just filled with lies and, and just all these like just wrong thoughts about uh, myself and about who God is and, and, and all these things and just feeling depressed and oppressed and, and, and just I'm, I'm trying to, to, to work this out and trying to pray through this stuff and, and just feel like I'm just getting deeper and deeper into this sense of like this pit and I'm, I'm, I'm fighting and I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling and I ended up scrapping half of my sermon and saying, this is, is awful and, and just trying to rework things. And, and I, I said to all of us, in no uncertain terms, I said, something's going on and this is not, this is not good right now. And so she came and, and she's, she's comforting me and she's praying for me. And, and she's like, we, yeah, we need to, we need to, 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 to pray. And, and she just began to, to speak truth into my heart. And my heart was just so in such a, I mean, it was like all of a sudden, there's just like oppression fell. And I just felt like, man, this is, yeah, this is yucky, yucky feeling. And, and uh, she's praying and she's claiming these promises of God and, and asking God, be mighty in his life and, and, and show up and come and save the day, be his hero. And, and as she's praying this, my heart is just beginning to, to, to open up and, and the oppression is beginning to lift. And, and I, don't, I don't understand everything about it. And perhaps, perhaps God was allowing me to experience that so that I could see and understand what it is that he is indeed a mighty God and to, 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 to see this as a reality 
Uh, and, and for this to be fresh in my heart, because it was fighting and it was battling and it was oppressive. And yet as begin to see that this is who God is, he doesn't stand idly by. He doesn't stand watching. He, he, he comes and he runs when we call on his name. He's there to fight for us. Right? This is our mighty God. This is why he came. One of 256 some odd reasons why he came. But he comes to be mighty God for us. Where do you need God to be mighty in your life? This is not some abstract theoretical thing, people of God. Right? This is real life, practical life on life where the rubber meets the road. This is our God. This is who he is. And he runs to fight and to rescue his people. This is who he is. He comes for us. He's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. This is who he is. How wise is he? And how powerful is he? I think we see his wisdom. We realize that the foolishness of God, the most unwise thing, if there could be such thing in the mind of God, is far infinitely greater than the most wise thing that we could ever dream up. And the place where God Almighty is at his weakest is infinitely stronger than all of us at our best combined might and strength. Think about what, what do you think of when you think of power? Maybe you think of, I don't know, you think of a, of a, of a big Mack truck and all the power that it takes. Or you think, of, uh, you think of the power that it takes to light up a city like New York City. Or you think of uh, nuclear power that has the potential to wipe out entire cities. What, what do you th- With all this power that we have in this world, no power on earth could save us from our own sins, could raise someone from the dead. And yet in the moment where the world would see God at his weakest, we see at the cross of Christ where Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself, we see there the power of God most powerfully revealed in your life and mine and for all the world to see. Where is it? We see the, the, the message of the cross in 1 Corinthians says that is foolishness to the world because they say anyone who dies on a cross is cursed, a criminal, would never be the Messiah. But in that place, we see God's infinite wisdom. How in the world will the mercy of God and the justice of God kiss over the mountain of our sin? He says, at the cross, no human being would have ever dreamed of something like this, where God would come and wrap himself up in the most precious kind of wrapping paper, human flesh and blood, and give himself to us. But that's How wonderful a counselor he is. This wonderful counselor is the kind of counselor that makes us say, wow, what a God he is. I would have never imagined that that would be the way to save the world. This is how mighty he is. He comes and he rescues us in the moment of our deepest weakness. In the moment of his deepest weakness, he shows the greatest strength. And he continues to show his power to all who would call on his name. This is our mighty God. As we move forward to Christmas as we think about the gift of Jesus Christ into our world. And this is our Savior. This is who he came to be. He's our wonderful counselor. He is your mighty God. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Let's think of the places in our lives where we don't know what to do. Have you turned 
to the one whose counsel has time and time again caused people to wonder and say, wow, what a God. Where are the places in your life where you feel like you've got no energy, no strength, you don't know where to turn? Like you've exhausted all of your resources and they failed and you still got these issues, these mountains of problems, these barriers before you. Have you tried to call on our mighty God? We sing as a child, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you still believe that now? Do you still believe that our God is mighty? And that he's near to the brokenhearted, near to the weak, the defender of the weak. He's mighty to save. Let's take a couple moments to pray to our God, to our wonderful counselor, to our mighty God. Let's invite him into the situations of our lives. Let's ask God this Christmas, I want to see that this is who you are. Show yourself, show your wisdom, show your power, and let it be a testimony that people might see. Help me to dare to believe and to dream and to take a step again of faith that I might see your power and see your wisdom. So let's pray. Take a couple moments we respond to the word of God, surrendering our hearts to him. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus into our world to do one thing. His mission resolutely, his face set out towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, towards Calvary, where by dying for us and then rising on the third day, you can be everything that we need and want. Thank you that at the cross we saw the wisdom of the wonderful counselor and you still show that day after day after day after day and you want to show that to us even now. Demonstrate your wisdom in our lives. Help us to allow you to be the wonderful counselor for us. Thank you that at the cross you showed how mighty you are in rescuing us and saving us from the barriers, from the walls in front of us. Thank you that you've done that once 2,000 years ago and you continue to do that in our lives when we call on your name. Help us to, sh- uh, to give you opportunities to show your power, to be the mighty God for us, to be our rescuer, to be our hero, to be our warrior, to fight our battles for us. We thank you that this is our God. We thank you so much. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.